welcome. I'm just grateful for what I've got, for the work that I do, that I enjoy it, that I've got a peer group that I really respect and that I really like, that I've got this business. And like you said earlier, where I can choose, I can choose what I want to do. It takes work, it takes effort. There's battle scars to prove it. But generally speaking, life's awesome. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZNT Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to another episode of the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at KZN Privacy Experts. I'm primarily responsible for conducting research on current and upcoming legislation, as well as key developments and decisions by supervisory authorities. My co-host today is Jamal Ahmed, who is a Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO of KZN Privacy Experts. He's a leading global privacy professional, world-class trainer and lead mentor at the Privacy Pros Academy. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to speak to our lovely guest, Hayley today. Jamila, why don't you tell us more about our guest? Thank you, Jamal. Our guest today is Hayley Jaffrey. She is a DPO and privacy consultant at the Quality Atlas Limited. She is an IAPP fellow with a postgrad in data protection law and info governance. She has a specialism in health tech, clinical research and studies, big pharma and healthcare. Prior to working in privacy, she enjoyed a 15-year career in senior quality compliance and governance roles. Haley is a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, certified RCA leader, an instructor, and an ISO management representative. Wow, that's an amazing bio, Haley. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you today. And as you may have listened to our previous podcasts before, we always start off with an icebreaker question. And the icebreaker for you today is if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Oh, that's a good one. I would be. A dog in a really nice family, like my dog is in our family, <laughs> that gets lots of attention, yeah. lovely walks, good food, and is generally treated like a wee queen. <laughs> I think that's the ideal, really, yeah. I would probably agree with you on that one. Yeah. Is there any particular breed you'd be, Hayley? An Irish terrier, that's what I have. Her name is Juno. And oh, she's just a great dog, really easy dog. Although terriers generally can be a little bit sort of tenacious yeah. and dogged. But no, she's actually really easy, but they're a great breed. Fantastic. There we go. Hayley, you mentioned you're in health tech and with the pandemic and everything going on, how's that been over the last couple of months? Very busy, actually. Very busy indeed. So with the pandemic, many organisations in the health tech healthcare and clinical research space are having to look at alternatives to continue to do the work that they do and support patients 
and progress with clinical trials and studies that help the public at large. That They're looking at innovative ways of doing that, which generally involves our sort of innovative technologies, a lot of data sharing and sort of really just looking at new ways of working, which has an impact on how data is processed and handled. For a lot of organisations, they're in unchartered territory and therefore need to get some advice around that. You then couple in Brexit and the challenges that EU organisations or previously EU organisations in the UK, how they're having to deal with things. And then, you know, the SHREMS 2, the Privacy Shield and Validation, everyone is in bed with US cloud providers and certain countries in the EU, particularly involved in digital healthcare, are taking a really hard line about not using US cloud providers. And there isn't really any other solutions going around, viable solutions going around. So that's sort of posed quite a problem for those organisations who've got integrity at the heart of what they do and they want to do the right thing. And, you know, they're patient centric and therefore understand confidentiality, understand the protection of data. They're looking for guidance around that. In answer to your question, really busy Lots of new privacy conundrums where you're trying to figure out the best solution that enables a business to do what they need to do, but still stay within the parameters of what's the right thing to do legally and ethically. It's a lot of fun. I really, I love what I do. I'm very, very fortunate that I love what I do. And I like the, generally like the people that I work with as well. But I think you make those choices when you've got your own gig going on, which is nice. That's super positive and amazing to hear. And we love speaking to privacy professionals that are passionate about what they do and that love what they do. I mean, it's impossible to do something when you have to force yourself out of bed. And that's definitely not a way to be living life. So I'm super happy when I speak to people that are really passionate. Uh, That's awesome. It's also really interesting how you have so many different challenges in such a short space of time that you have to manage companies providing patient care during times like this. It must be a very challenging environment for you. How do you cope? I don't take myself massively seriously. I've got a very good sense of humour. I'd like to inject a little bit of fun in what we do contextually as well. I don't know, actually. I've got a nice, lovely family and friends. And I think at the moment, actually, I had this conversation yesterday with a lawyer colleague of mine. And it's not the first time I've had this conversation. Is right now in the pandemic, we're all working at home. and Our work-life balance is not as defined as it was pre-pandemic when we were, you know, we had travel time to go Mm. to the office. You finished at a specific time. You were going home then. And essentially, for the most part, that was your downtime. There isn't really that sort of demarcation as much now. I had a call just before this, actually, with a client. And they were like, the only time I've got free is like tomorrow night. That's Friday night. That's not going to work, is it? And I'm like, well, I'm not doing anything else. So at this point in time, I don't mind as much and because I enjoy what I do. Mm. But we will get to a point in the future where it'll be like, yeah, guys, I kind of need to get my work-life balance back. You know, I'm going to have social engagements, hopefully, and be able to go out and do things. But it's enjoyable what I do. I make choices about what I want to do when I want to do it. I'm fortunate that I can do that as well. Generally, I kind of just cope with it. I talk to colleagues I 
get coached by colleagues and by friends and people that I respect. I ask for help when I need it. I'm not shy to do that at all. We're mm-hmm. continually learning. And quite a lot of what we do is open to interpretation. So it's quite nice to have a really decent community. The data protection community is fantastic. I'm fortunate that I've got lovely friends and that are really supportive and informative as well, really great peers. And if I'm struggling with something or challenged, I can reach out and, you know, there's no judgment, there's no superiority and it's just super helpful and that helps enormously. Well, your passion really comes through. I think we'll really encourage people who are thinking about a career in data privacy because it sounds great what you've been saying. But what first sparked your interest in data privacy? It's quite an interesting journey, um, how I got here. A little bit serendipitous, actually, but I'm 50 next year and I didn't go to university. So I started working very young. I had like my first job at like 13 or something in a shoe shop, funnily enough, and and have worked consistently all that time. Did my two and a few things, you know, when I was growing up. When I was in my 20s, I worked for Barclays Stockbrokers. That involved a lot of knowledge or good knowledge, basic knowledge of date protection because it's financial records, et cetera. And you're dealing with a lot of personal information in that. So I had an, a knowledge and an understanding of it then. I then went into an investment house as an auditor. And that, again, you needed to have a good understanding of that because you were auditing against standards and laws and regulations, etc. And then from there, I actually went into the NHS and worked for NHS 24 for several years, which is our out-of-hours healthcare a provider similar to NHS Direct in England. And I, again, health information, you have to understand what data protection and, and information governance entails. So I always had that sort of very basic, interested, but not hugely interested. And then I enjoyed a really good career in quality, compliance and governance. Three, four years ago, I met a friend uh, for coffee and she said, oh, I'm going to do this I'm going on a training course. It's a SIPI training course for GDPR. And I said, I've heard a bit about that. What's that all about? And she says, oh, it's a new date protection law. And I said, oh, I understand a little bit about date protection. She goes, my colleague can't go on the course. There's a free space if you want it. And I thought, okay, yeah, why not? And Mm. at that point, I was setting up my own company anyway to do the quality and the governance consultancy. And I thought, actually, let's go and see what that's all about. So I went and it was brilliant. It was just so interesting. The human rights element, the other legislation, you got taught about the structure of the European Union. Really, really interesting. And I thought, I just really enjoyed it. And it was Christy Goldsmith, who was the tutor. And I also met someone that's become like an amazing friend of mine now as well, Amanda Williams. Um, and Mark Evans as well. So that, you know, it was like the infancy of my proper privacy career. So I did the course and then I loved it so much. I enjoyed the, the studying for the first time in my life. I enjoyed mm-hmm. studying, did the SIPI, passed it and thought, actually, this is what I want to do. I had 20 years of doing governance and quality and actually this would be a really good point I've got about another 25 years you know hopefully of working 
why don't I do a career change yeah. and do something that actually really interests me now? So it was just like I say, serendipitous, and it just went from there. Uh, I took the leap with the limited company and decided I'm actually going to give it a chance with privacy. Fortunate, I had a decent network. And what I did was I offered companies and people in my network free GDPR awareness training based on the limited knowledge that I had it came with that caveat like I'm learning this at the same time and assessments because I'd been an auditor assessments of their data processing activities what they needed to put in place to comply with the Mm -hmm. principles and it just went from there so they were like well if you're going to come in that and you're going to do it free and we need somebody to actually help us put these things in place we'll pay you for that and that's how it worked and within two years I had like 55 clients ranging from really small businesses to large multinationals mostly up here in Aberdeen and then the GDPR sort of came and went the 25th of May and it was this massive anti-climax and I had a pipeline and they were like well yeah nothing happened nobody died and they were like, we yeah. can wait we can wait that's actually now not an investment that we need to make I thought well I still have to earn I still want to do this. I've invested a lot in my knowledge. Mm. So I then started looking for contract work. And then I got GSK. And that was the first contract gig that I actually went for. And I worked there for a year. And that was actually my introduction into healthcare and pharmacy. So there you go. That was quite a long answer, wasn't it? It was a very interesting answer. Yeah, it was brilliant. Because you're basically complimenting what all of our previous guests have said is, It doesn't matter what your background is, you can bring all of those things and make it a success and make it your greatest asset when it comes to the data privacy industry. And you took your auditing background, that focus on quality, a focus on making sure companies are doing what they're supposed to do in line with the different legislations. And you brought all that along and you've been brilliant. And then you've managed to sort yourself, not just a career, but an actual business where you make up your own mind about when you work, how you work, who you work with, how much you charge and enjoy all of the benefits that come along with that. So it's really inspiring to hear that answer. Thank you. Thank you. And your passion really is just coming through with all the answers that you've been giving. But what is it that you love most about working in data privacy? I used to admire, be slightly envious of those who were in vocational careers. It meant a lot to them and that they were making a difference. Mm -hmm. And a difference to people as opposed to like an organization's bottom line. And some of my family are nurses. Um, I know lawyers and accountants and police and work the armed services. And, you know, they've got they have a passion for what they do and they believe that they're contributing to something that is good. I feel that way about privacy. I mean, we're all data subjects. We are members of staff. We are patients. We're consumers. It's vitally important. The work I do actually helps other people and means that there's a high degree of integrity and just ethical value and moral value in what we do. And, you know, there's a letter of the law. But it's just generally about doing the right thing. I actually work for General Electric for almost eight years on and off, they've got, they have like a really great 
value system. And that kind of gets entrenched into your thinking. Do you know, it becomes part of your DNA. They do say about GE, GE's got the logo, the mm-hmm. GE logo, it's got quite curly in the, in the circle and they call that the meatball for some reason. And they do say that, you know, if you've worked in GE for long enough, they can cut you in half and find a meatball mm-hmm. because it becomes entrenched in your ways of working. So they had a spirit and letter, they had integrity in there. And that kind of migrates through and permeates into your way of thinking. I've always taken that with me. So this part of doing the right thing with people's information, and certainly in the healthcare space where I work, it's just so vitally important. You you don't want to be on the front page of a paper and you don't want your business to go down the swanee because you've done something wrong. I mean, we've all seen it, but it's just instilling upon people, just do the right thing. And by doing that, I feel, although it maybe sounds a little bit twee, that I am actually contributing to society, if you like, in what I do around the integrity and the order of doing things a certain way, the right way, hopefully, and encouraging others to do the same. Yeah, I mean, Heidi, I completely resonate with what you're saying, and I absolutely agree. And in fact, we set up an arm of the business called the Amana Project, and Amana is the Arabic word, which means trust. And what we're saying is when you're handling people's personal data, when you're collecting that personal data, you're actually collecting people's trust. And regardless of what the law says, regardless of what the previous laws say in different countries where you're working with either donors or beneficiaries or any individual, you have to protect that trust in a way that actually empowers and benefits the person's personal data you're holding so and I completely resonate with what you're saying they makes absolute sense absolutely it's like what do you stand for and I endeavor to always stand for doing the right thing awesome it's a really good message thank you so you're in the healthcare field at the moment what is one common myth about the data privacy profession in the healthcare field that you want to debunk It's not just in the healthcare field, it's in every field, to be honest, is that privacy is the death of innovation. You know, we can't do what we want to do because of GDPR. And it's like, well, no, that's not the case at all. And also that consent is the only legal basis as well. That's the other one. So, yeah, I spend quite a lot of time having conversations, actually, particularly in the healthcare space, about the difference between informed consent Mm -hmm. and GDPR consent two entirely different things. And that's common confusion in there. So the the informed consent is a medical legal requirement. And if I remember correctly, it definitely is underpinned by the Human Rights Act as well. But the Declaration of Helsinki, also the Onfiendo Convention, I believe that it is linked to as well. And that is somebody consenting to participate in a study or a trial, etc. So there's that part of it, and that's always required. But the processing of the personal data from that trial or study requires a legal basis under GDPR. And it isn't and shouldn't be consent because you think you need all that trial data. If someone actually withdraws their consent, then your trial metrics and all of the data that you've got there will be skewed. So, but it's about doing the right thing when you don't use consent. If you're using, say, for instance, legitimate interest, and I continually say, right, okay, this is a great legal basis, but with that comes responsibility around our balancing, our necessity, the proportionality, and it's taking that organisations through that. And when you have conversations with them and they've got that sort of preconceived idea that they can't do this because of GDPR and they can't do that, that you go, well, actually, no, you can. 
and I think that's quite good from my background as a Lean Six Sigma black belt as well, is finding pragmatic, reasonable ways of working that achieve your result, but still keep the integrity in what you're meant to do legally, morally, ethically, etc. And engaging with clients to compel them around that as well. Now, generally speaking, most of my clients will go, actually, yeah, okay, Haley, we'll take that. But occasionally, you know, it can be completely justifiable that they would say, no, we're actually going to do what we wanted to do in the first place. And you're like, well, that's fine. I mean, I'm there in an advisory capacity and there's only so much influence and control that you can have of a business that wants or needs to make money a certain way. Thank you. I mean, that was just listening. I was absorbing everything. Wow, sorry. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I was really it just intrigued with what you were saying about informed consent and GDPR consent, because it's something I've been working on doing interviews as part of my PhD research at the moment. So I found that very interesting. Thank you. Um, so what would you say has been your biggest failure or obstacle that you had to overcome in your career and what did you learn from it and how did you overcome it? I wouldn't say I've overcome it. I say I'm mindful of it and I talk to myself quite a bit about it as well. It's actually getting quite emotionally invested in doing the right thing, I guess. What's the best way of describing it? Yeah, I don't always want to fall on my moral sword, put it like that. You know, it's I'm very much about doing the right thing and integrity and trust, etc. You know, as, as Jamal said, but there's sometimes it's outside of my control about the decisions that organizations or individuals make about doing things. And I might not agree with it. I do need to A, work on my non-verbals, because if I'm not happy about something, you can generally tell from my yeah. And I don't have different personas at work or personally either. And I was actually once called with a US colleague was describing me to another US colleague. And they mm. said, oh, yeah, it's that blonde Scottish girl with Tourette's, which wow. because I just say what I've got to say. And sometimes I go, whoop, that was maybe a bit harsh. Whoop, that <laughs> Maybe that wasn't the best thing to say. And I do get myself in trouble around that. I know that. So that is actually one of my areas of development, shall we say, but it's a continual work in progress and on a best endeavours basis. I think that's my hurdles generally is I have to sometimes not get so excitable and be a little bit more amenable, I think, and less emotional when I'm trying to, to make my point. I do get told sometimes I'm a wee bit intimidating and a wee bit aggressive just because I'm sort of quite passionate about seeing things. Mm. But I've got some really great colleagues and great people around me that will sort of go, yeah, tone it down a smidge, really. Or I'll learn from them and I go, actually, see the way you handled that? You were so gracious, so classy really informative you got your point across and you didn't basically have to go handbags at 50 paces <laughs> I learned a lesson from you there thank you very much and I actually just did that last week so yes I'm not awesome at everything I'm not awesome at quite a lot of things and I have areas of development but I'm pretty self-aware around it normally after the fact right enough but doing the best that I can yeah. <laughs> Thank you for such an honest answer. I'm sure it's going to be really eye-opening for a lot of people listening. One of the things that we really like to teach people uh, through the academy when they're first coming into data privacy is 50% is about the technical stuff. The other 50% is about stakeholder management, how you have those communications, how you investigate and get the right amount of data. And when you come in as a consultant, 
doesn't necessarily mean that everyone knows you or trusts you or wants to be forthcoming with the information. Sometimes people might be thinking, how is this going to impact my end of year review? I've told my manager something and now you're going to tell me that what I told them was incorrect. I don't want to be the person looking bad. And a lot of it is sometimes unraveling people's proofs that they might not know to be true or that they might not believe to be true and just letting everyone know that it's okay. And the most important thing is even when you disagree with something, we still have to come in with the belief that everyone's doing the best they can with the knowledge and resources available to them. And my moral compass and your moral compass and our ethical and integrity compass, they might not always be on the same line, but we know where the boundaries are because then it falls back to what does the actual law say about it? And that's one of the elements of the mindset stuff that we teach to all of our um, students in the academy. So thank you for um, sharing your experience with that. It's funny what you say there. I've got a wee phrase that I say quite a lot around my opinion and somebody else's opinion. And I hear quite a lot, you know, common sense. And I always say common sense is a flower that doesn't grow in everyone's garden. (laughs) Um, And that's stood me in quite good stead. I have to say, I think we've always got parts of us that we know that we can do better with. I'm never ever ashamed to say sorry at all if I've done something wrong, or even sometimes if it's just like the politically correct thing to do is to concede because my need to be right isn't paramount. Yeah, that's I correct myself quite a lot around that. All right, let's move on to what are you most proud of, Hayley? (gasps) My business, actually, and just where I'm at at the moment. Invested a lot in myself over, not just my shoes, um, but I invested a lot in my learning, proud of my qualifications. I'm proud of the clients that I have had and still do have. I'm incredibly grateful for everything that I've got, the joys that and abundances that I have in my life. There's a lot I choose to be grateful. I choose to have that attitude. I, I focus very much on gratitude. And I think better things happen when you do that as well. It's a positive mindset. But mm. I'm mindful of the pride element. I'd say I'm more grateful. I'm just grateful for what I've got, for the work that I do, that I enjoy it. I've got a peer group that I really respect and that I really like. I've got, you know, the roof over my head, the clothes on my back, all of that sort of thing. I've got this business. And like you said earlier, where I can choose, I can choose what I want to do. And yeah, it it takes work, takes effort. There's battle scars to prove it. But generally speaking, life's awesome. Love it. That's a lovely attitude. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, I want to pick up on one, a couple of things you mentioned there, Hayley. So the most important thing I want to pick up on is, so you've just mentioned how, um, I asked you, what are you most proud of? And you said, I'm really proud of the investment that I've made in myself, the qualifications that I've earned, the trainings I've been on. It's really helped me to have this life of abundance. Now, there are a lot of people listening and there are a lot of people on LinkedIn and other places who are thinking about career in data privacy or they want to move on to a meaningful career. They've heard this pays a lot of money and they have this belief right now where they think that they can open a book and learn how to pass an exam and they'll be as successful as you or somebody else when it comes to data privacy. What's your message to those individuals? Careful what you wish for. There's a lot of resilience that is required in this gig. And I mean, I don't consider myself an expert at all because every day is a school day and you know there's so much change and different interpretations etc in there I do invest a lot of time in reading and researching there's new cases coming out all the time 
it's not just about the qualification, it's about the work that you put in. It's about the investment of your time and your effort. It's about the investment of engaging with clients. It's also about the investment of actually doing things and not getting paid for it, that you do have to earn your stripes along the way. There was a lot of people in the early days of GDPR that, you know, unfortunately they get called snake oilers. Do you know that they were in there and they were telling Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, you will get fined 20 million euros if you don't do X, Y and Z. And if you pay me 20,000 pounds, I will make sure that that never happens. And you lose credibility if you're using scaremongering tactics to get to compel people or sell people actually in that regard, your wares. So For those that want to proceed in this career, I think that there's a mindset, a mentality and an ethos that is needed to do this and do it well. And I've breached on that earlier. Sorry, pardon the pun around the breach, but um, I touched on that earlier. You know, your level of integrity, your level of trust and how much you're prepared to invest in doing the right thing, because you'll never get anybody else to pay you to help them to do that if you can't do it yourself. The investment of time to learn, to let go of your ego quite a bit and learn, because I still daily have imposter syndrome when I'm engaged with other with clients and with other peers and with lawyers, etc. Because I think, oh God, do I actually really know what I'm doing? Oh, I feel like I'm really uncomfortable at the moment. But being honest about I'm here to learn. Everybody's here to learn. Every day's a school day. My granddad used to say to me that all the time. If you want to be in a career like this, work hard. Don't be an ass. Be cool. Work hard. And remember that it's not about you. It's about other people. Awesome. A certificate is just that. It's a piece of paper at the end Mm. of the day. There's a lot of chatter in the privacy community about IEPP qualifications, some people not appreciating them at all. I can understand that as well because Mm. it's part of a holistic competence. So I always use the acronym SKATE for competence. So you're skilled knowledgeable, aware of your own abilities and the abilities that you don't have, trained, and you've got experience over time. Now, the trained is just one part of it. And knowing what I know in the time that I've been doing this, I think I'm getting there for sure, but I've got so much more to learn. So that certificate actually really doesn't mean that much. And I've met so many people that went to do the course, got the SIPI qualification and really know jam all about the practical application of GDPR, Data Protection Act 2018, PECR, and actually any other legislation that is relevant to it as well. So it's time served. It's like being an apprentice, essentially. And you've got to do quite a bit of grunt work to get there. Your certificate is just part of the journey. Thank you for sharing those tips. And it is very interesting how some people think the IAP qualifications are absolutely paramount and other people say, well, it's a multiple choice question. And I think when you meet people who are asking some very strange questions, yet they have all these credentials that they display, you really think, really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me, put it like that. I got my qualifications. I invested in those qualifications. I'm proud of those qualifications. I know that there are people that are not okay with them, generally speaking. And I understand that because they're generally speaking about those that just get the certificate and think they can do the job. Mm -hmm. And it's 
everything else that comes along with that that they're not getting and that does devalue those qualifications sometimes and it's just being aware of that part again you know like how we're pitching it this is not the panacea getting your SIPI qualification is not going to basically mean that you're going to get 500 pounds a day doing what you do you might get it for a couple of gigs but then they'll rumble you that you don't know what you're doing Mm. so there's that side of things but it's an industry recognized certificate so you can fight against it but in the absence of there being anything else of merit then you know what's the point in bleating about it like I say I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me I've done very very well having my qualifications and I'm proud of being a fellow as well because that sort of demarked me a little bit more I did my postgrad at Northumbria University because I wanted to add to it but what I will say is I did the postgrad and that was a year nobody cares actually nobody looks at that qualification because when I go like to bid for work etc it's the IEPP qualifications that are the ones that are recognized and that's just the way it is Absolutely. And I completely echo everything you said. I'm very proud of the investments I've made in my IAPP qualifications. And I was really pleased to be um, awarded the Fellow of Information Privacy as well. And it has really helped me in my career and does help us differentiate ourselves from some of the people. So I really am grateful and I really appreciate those certifications as well. And I think people that decide not to really invest in the other trainings and the experiences and the extra wide learning are probably doing a disservice to everyone else who's actually put in that time and effort and energy to really earn those stripes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. So your LinkedIn mentioned that you are the creator of the Data Atlas Method, the QMS Atlas Method and the Quality Atlas Program. Could you tell us a little bit more about those? Yeah. So this was pre-privacy, actually. You remember I told you earlier on when I was just set up my limited company and I was going to go sort of freelance and consultant I've set up for many different organizations their quality management system so it's basically procedures forms templates etc all of the tools under like ISO requirements essentially and certifications about the way you work but it also enables those processes enable businesses to do things in a repeatable and therefore more efficient and controlled way so as well as sort of culling out some waste in terms of unnecessary working activities Mm -hmm. you're then documenting the way that you want people to work so that essentially all of that comes together to form a quality management system and there's many other things that go around that in terms of governance around change control and there's management oversight management review metrics kpis everything that basically documents the way that you work and that you're doing it the right way funnily Mm -hmm. enough and I've gone in and built QMS for organizations, different organizations. And I just had this methodology that which was the way that I work. So I decided that I would document the way that I worked, essentially, and trademarked it and marketed it as a methodology for helping businesses with their QMS and to also meet ISO 9001, uh, what was 18001, 14001, all the different ISO requirements as well, that it would help them have that in place. And yeah, so I trademarked it. So the QMS Atlas is that methodology. And then I also added in the Quality Atlas, which has got some other elements to it. And that is the name of my business as well. And the Data Atlas, again, was my methodology for helping people and organizations get GDPR compliant. There was just a certain way of working and questionnaires and checklists and Mm -hmm. ropas and things like that so I trademarked it 
And the idea was that that would then be a sort of repeatable product that you could then sell. But then I fell out of love with that idea because I saw that there was other people that were doing it. And I thought, I like doing the work, actually. Mm -hmm. So I decided not to do a product offering and to actually do a service offering. So that's what those trademarks are. Really interesting. I'm not sure if you had a chance to read the news today, but there's been a proposal coming from Australia about how we record the sexual consent via an app. Have you read the story? No. Tell me more. Somebody in Australia has suggested that we have an app and the app is used to register sexual consent so that if somebody wants to to have sex Yes, to consent to it. You have to use an app to record it. But That's I think ridiculous. The concept yes. of it is thoroughly, thoroughly ridiculous. It's like, oh, there's an app for that. That's madness. That is. I mean, passion killer. <laughs> but be, no, that's just daft. That, that is Actually, crazy. you know what there is? What there needs to be is that people just are nicer and better and actually live by moral codes and rules and don't do horrible things to people absolutely Absolutely. okay final question for you what are your top tips for privacy professionals who really want to take the career to the next level and maybe set up a consultancy like yours that be they're trained and they're already working for a company and that they want like be their own boss Uh yeah there's a couple of people that have done that fairly recently and I think that in certain industries there's been a necessity to do that because unfortunately within the pandemic in certain industries the first people to go was like DPOs and quality people because they're sort of deemed to be surplus to requirements uh, when they're actually your safety net but I try to think of what I did around that. I mean, networking is massive. And that networking was like a really big deal for me. Uh, Back in the day, you know, where you could go places and things. I I went to some Date Protection World Forum that was on in London for a couple of years. Went there, introduced myself to other privacy experts in the community, sort of well-respected privacy professionals in the community. The training side of things, of course, is they're having that. I got a website and then just started. I did a fair amount on LinkedIn, sort of commenting on opinion pieces and articles and other people's posts um, and then posting some of my own in there as well. So it's just about increasing your profile, but doing it in a way that you're not overselling yourself and that people aren't going to kind of, typically British people as well, you know, it's like, who do you think she is? Look at her, you know. So still having that element of being gracious and humble, being confident in what it is that you want to do. Hopefully in the not too distant future, we will get into sort of more the sort of social side of our community as well and going to conferences. And I got the opportunity to be panel members and speaker at some events as well. That's sort of increases your profile and your credibility also and that then kind of gets you known use your network see if there's a market there don't take a leap necessarily if you don't have to see if there's a market there if you have a specialism in privacy in a certain sector that helps actually because there's certain sectors that are doing really well at the moment don't overextend yourself unless you're comfortable with that and just you know I got advice from Business Gateway and Elevator around the setting up of my business as well. And they actually ended up giving me work, which was quite nice. I got a virgin business loan when I started out to help me get my office equipment, my printer, my business cards, 
my big posters and all that for when I was speaking. And they've also got some business advice services in there as well. So yeah, use government support and organisations for setting up your business. It's no different to any other business. Know your market test your market and see if that's going to work for you. Amazing. Some really practical tips there as well. Things like the loans from the government and seeing what's out there. Thank you so much, Hayley. It's been absolutely lovely speaking to you. I could sit and have a chat with you all day. I look forward to catching up with you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.